listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So the story of David continues. In last Sunday's episode, we heard of how David had captured the Jebusite stronghold city of Jerusalem and secured it as the center of his newly consolidated nation, Israel. It was a canny political move in that none of the Israelite tribes could claim any strong identification with Jerusalem, and so it could be claimed as the city of David, a fresh start in this strongly fortified city, free of any particular tribal claims. Along the way, David has now managed to add wives and concubines to his household, along with managing to father 11 sons, 11. In recognition of David's rule, King Hiram of Tyre has sent a delegation to Jerusalem with cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. He's once again defeated the Philistines, this time rather handily. Again and again, the storyteller notes that all of this amazing stuff has come by virtue of the Lord's presence with David, yet it remains abundantly clear that the reader is to take enormous delight in this king, this man who is tactically brilliant, virile, and strong. A brief aside, though, regarding the story we heard read aloud from the Gospel according to Mark, which recounts the death of John the Baptist. The lectionary has us reading our way through a series of accounts through these two biblical books, the First and Second Samuel and the Gospel according to Mark. There's no expectation that they are in any way related. They just kind of move side by side. Yet, in this case tonight, what we can glimpse is a king in whom we are not to delight. As ruler of Galilee, King Herod claimed to be an heir of David, yet his claim was false. He was, in fact, little more than a puppet of the Roman Empire, whose illicit marriage to his brother's wife had publicly scandalized the Jewish community, but more to the point for tonight's lesson, it had outraged John the Baptist, who had very, very much vocalized his outrage. This episode unveils Herod as being precisely the sort of king the prophet Samuel had warned against a king whose power is exercised for his own gain, one who makes rash vows in the midst of parties, and who in the name of that sort of rash vow will behead John and have his bloodied head offered on a platter. That's not the sort of king that we see in David, clearly. The writer of 2 Samuel would have us see a very different kind of king, as tonight's reading opens, we discover that David has made the decision to move the Ark of the Covenant from its rather obscure resting place at the house of Abinadab 
to a more suitable and dignified home in Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant held the most treasured item in Israel, the tablets on which the law was inscribed. And though there's never a sense that the Ark contained God, it was believed to embody something of the holiness of God. So holy, in fact, that in a brief episode not included in tonight's reading, someone touches the ark and immediately falls dead. That's the kind of reverence with which they saw this item. And so there's considerable liturgical fanfare. They carried the ark of God on a new cart, not an old one, that won't do, carried it on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab. David and all of the house of Israel dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, David sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Now that's an extravagant sort of liturgy, isn't it? Every six paces and you stop and there's another sacrifice made. And girded with a linen ephod, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Again, an extravagant thing, this dancing with all of his might. This is clearly a day for extravagance. Another brief aside. Many interpreters have suggested that in his linen ephod, David was basically clothed only in a loincloth, that he was dancing in public in his underwear. Many of us might have actually been taught to see it in this way. Thing is, that may not be at all what's going on here. The ephod was a priestly garment which all of the Levitical priests who were part of that grand procession would have been wearing. The point being made here could be that for this landmark celebration, David had shed his royal robes, set aside his military gear, and clothed himself instead as a priest. His kingship, you see, will have also about it a priestly quality. And though he dances wildly, that too embodies something priestly, because his dance offers to the community a dramatically embodied expression of their praise. Then there's one more extravagance to the celebration. Once the ark has been placed in the tent that David has had pitched to hold, to keep it, to maintain it in Jerusalem, and after David had offered yet another series of burnt offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Once the liturgy with its procession, its sacrifices, its singing and dancing and blessing, once that was all done, it's time for the whole community to feast. 
Feasting is so embedded in the faith and the culture of the Hebrew tradition. Feasting in celebration of God's goodness and abundance and feasting in anticipation of all that God has yet to do. That kind of feasting has to include everyone. Room must be made for all. And so it was that day. They all feasted. Again, notice how different that community feast was from the one that's pictured in the gospel according to Mark, the banquet that Herod hosted. That was a banquet hosted by Herod to celebrate his own birthday. The only ones invited were his courtiers, his officers, and the leaders of Galilee. At Herod's party, the only dancing is a performance given by his daughter, not dancing in celebration of the glory of God, but dancing as performance. And Mark says that dance pleased Herod and his guests and resulted in his rather rash vow. Ask for me whatever you wish, he says to his daughter. Ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Well, the daughter turns to her mother, and the mother, who's got a major grudge against John the Baptist for his public shaming of her and her second husband, Herod, the mother has the girl ask for the head of John the Baptist on the platter, and Herod does it. He has him beheaded, and he delivers that head on a platter. It's a stunning contrast to David's feast. For in the end, Herod's exclusive banquet delivers only death. But for all of the glory of the story of the ark coming into Jerusalem, did you hear that one moment of disquiet right in the middle? That one verse tucked in there in which we see that perhaps all is not well in David's life? Here it is. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She despised the man to whom she was married. Michal was the daughter of Saul, David's first wife as well. She'd fallen in love with him while he was yet a young man, serving as a leader in her father's army. Together with her brother Jonathan, Michal had been instrumental in helping David to flee when Saul hatched his plot to have David killed out of jealousy. That act of his daughter helping David to escape had so enraged Saul that he ceased to recognize her marriage and gave her, gave her to another man to be his wife. Michal's love for David, in other words, had been very, very costly. And yet, here we find her despising him. Well, had we read on a little further, we would have discovered that when David returned to his house after the feast, Michal came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel 
honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. Shamelessly uncovering himself. That's the notion that that linen ephod was little more than underwear. Yet, as the Hebrew scholar Susan Pigeot contends, in all likelihood David had been dressed as a priest and dancing in a twisting, rollicking manner in front of the commoners in Jerusalem streets. This was what Mickle was upset about. David was not acting dignified like a king should. He was strutting his priestly, kingly stuff in front of everyone in the biggest parade of his kingship. It was his coming out as king party, and Mickle felt he should have done it in a dignified, cultured way, rather than dancing in the streets as a priest king. To this, the Lutheran biblical scholar Richard Nice adds, Before we judge Mickle too harshly, we should remember that earlier she had loved David. And yet once he had become a fugitive, David never seems to plot to return to Mickle. He just leaves her with that other man. Until later, he negotiates with Saul's surviving general Abner and son Ishbaal. In the intervening years, David has wooed and married other women, while Mickle remained married to another man. Second Samuel reports six sons from six different wives, and then goes on to mention 11 more sons from additional unnamed wives and concubines. And of course, Bathsheba is yet to come. Why was it that Mickle looked out of the window to see David dancing? Why wasn't she out on the streets with the whole of the community joining in this great liturgical celebration, taking part in the community's feast? There's something sad and heavy about this woman standing in her window and watching it all. Something quite tragic in the disdain with which she looks at her husband. Yet, even in her biting sarcasm, she's perhaps telling David something he needs to hear. Not something about his ephod, or his dancing, or his celebratory enthusiasm. Rather, maybe deeply in her message was embedded something about his own family and how in building up this nation David can so easily shatter the very ones who love him. Just a heads up, that theme will appear again and again in his life as the story rolls forward. For tonight, though, set that aside for a bit and simply hold with delight the picture of a dancing, worshiping priest king who invites all to feast in celebration of the goodness of God. Delight in that picture, for it is, after all, what Jesus did. He, in his own dancing, storytelling, laughing, delighting, healing, touching way, danced the streets of his land, 
and invited all to the feast, a feast celebrating the goodness of God as revealed in his life. And then in your own life, maybe find a way to do a little dancing, worshiping, and feasting over that same great goodness that is God's. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.